I'm Mount Hope. Welcome back to our Work Matters series. The average worker in the course of their career might spend over 80,000 hours at their job. So far, we've talked to a couple people who are a few hours into that career and into that path. This morning, we want to talk with someone who's at really the starting end or the starting block of that to talk about how faith and work starts making a difference or you start thinking about at the beginning of your career. So for Kemi Follier, welcome. Thank you. Um, Kemi, you went into the field of science. You went through Mount Hope. You went through your high school and college, and then you pursued and chose to go for a career in pharma. So you're, you're starting out uh, and you're thinking about how does faith intersect with your work? Do you think they intersect or interact at all? Or where is your thinking when it comes to your faith in God, your following of Christ in your work? I think work has definitely impacted my faith in ways that I wasn't expecting. I think the way that like stress has come about and learning how to manage that properly and really taking things to God moment to moment, the pressures of feeling like I had to get everything right, it was very overwhelming for the first couple of years and still sometimes is. And so I think that like, really relying on God to give me peace to be a part of the story that I'm in, whether the, the assay or the experiment is successful or if it fails, really knowing that my identity is in him and not in my ability to perform or like the results that I get, but really feeling that security, I think has definitely made being in the working professional a lot easier, but also in like the like people interactions, like God, I just need a little bit more patience for this person. Would you be here with me in this conversation? Or as I start my day, like, would you help me to like represent you well? And I think that those are things that I never thought about doing in college or high school. It was never something that I felt like the need to do. It was just like, like God is good and I am good. <laughs> and so like, we're all good and we'll like move forward that's from there. Great. So That's great. So you're, as I said, you're kind of at the beginning of the earth, you know, you're past the starting line, mm -hmm. but, uh, but you're in that first leg of the race. You're looking down the road at maybe 20, 30, 40 years of work. Who knows where it goes? Are there any, um, I don't know, fears or hesitation when, when you look down that road that you think about in that long work journey that might be ahead of you at this point? Well, 40 years sounds very long. <laughs> but, um, it's not that long. Let's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like, for me, I never really want work to be my be-all, end-all. I think in today's culture and, like, today's climate, it's very easy for work to be like that. And I think, for me, it's really important to still, like, remain, I don't want to just say, like, human, but, like, more in contact with people and to really take the time and effort into investing in the people that I work with, but also making sure that I have enough left over to invest in the community that I'm placed in. Yeah. It's, um, I think there's a, I don't know if it's a stereotype or a generalization of your generation that work uh, for you needs to be more than a paycheck. It needs to be something where you find meaning and it feels like you're making a difference in the world. Uh, or maybe even changing the world, which is a big, which is a big goal yeah. to change the world. Is that something you feel, or are you like um, just content with, hey, I'm going to do the job? I mean, where, where's your? Do you feel like that's a fair or unfair generalization of your generation? 
I think it's hard because I personally don't identify with that mindset, but I can acknowledge that I felt a lot of pressure. Maybe to go to a final question, what do you hope? So you're at the beginning. Mm -hmm. If I was going to move you to the end, what do you want to look back? What do you hope to say, yeah, I feel good about that error. And I feel like God would say, well done for Kevin mm -hmm. um, in your work. What, what, what would that have looked like at that point looking back? Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know completely right now. I think obviously I'm just starting out, but I think right now at least I can say that first of all, I want to do good work. I think that's really important. I want to make sure that I'm being honest and having integrity in the work that I'm doing and that I'm doing it well. At the end of the day, I really want to be able to say like I did good work and I represented God well and I was a real beacon or light in that mm. place that I work in, whether it's still in pharmacy or somewhere else. Mm. You think it makes a difference being a Christian in the workplace? Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the short and cheeky answer to it. Thank you for coming and sharing with us yeah. this week. Isn't that the guy from the video right there? Isn't that him? Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Hope, and I get the privilege of opening God's word with you this morning. We have been in this work series over the last couple of weeks as we've talked about, and I love seeing Fakimi Follier up on the screen. Many of you may not know her. She grew up in our Burlington Location, And I think when I was running the youth ministry there, wasn't even old enough to be in the youth ministry. So now here she is working in the field of science, uh, which is fantastic to see and makes me feel old all at the same time. I'll tell you one thing that I feel like I've experienced about work. And I don't know if you've experienced this. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that's experienced this. But something that I've experienced about work is the ideal of what I think a job is going to be. And the reality of what a job actually is are two very different things. And I feel like I've found that over and over. And sometimes when I'm in a job, when I'm in a position, I get these glimpses where the, what I thought it was going to be and what I, what I thought the work was, was going to, to be about, they get very close. And then there's these other moments where they seem so far apart. Like, I remember when I was growing up, we used to shop at this grocery store. It was called Baker's Supermarket. And one of the things about shopping at Baker's was that when you checked out at the, at the counter there, they would bag your groceries, and then they would carry the groceries to your car. The person that bagged the groceries would walk with the, the cart. We call it a shopping cart. You guys call it carriages here for some reason. There's no baby, there's no horse, and yet it's still a carriage. I don't understand. But anyway, we would the shopping cart would get pushed out to your car with all the groceries, and uh, then they would put the groceries in your car, and, uh, and take the cart back in. And I used to see that as a kid, and I thought to myself, well, that's a great job. Like, that would be a fun thing to do, to carry people's groceries to their car, put them in their car. And so when I was 15 years old, I got a job at Baker's after school, and I would, I would bag the groceries, and I would take them to people's cars. And it seemed, when I was a child, like such an amazing opportunity. When I was doing it, it felt like something different 
because it would be slammed up front and there would be lines and people would be frustrated and people would be upset and you couldn't check out by tapping your phone. You had to write a check or you had to use one of those credit card things. Does anyone remember? It took forever to check out. People would be frustrated. I'd push the card outside. I'd have a hat and gloves on because it was minus 20 degrees. I'd push through the snow. The wheels would stop turning on the cart. I'd start putting the groceries in somebody's car and they would start telling me that I'm doing it incorrectly and I needed to do it another way. And I thought, man, what I thought this job was and what it really is, it's, it's really different. But some days, some days there'd be the perfect amount of customers in the store and everyone would be in a good mood. And I'd walk outside and it would be like 72 and sunny and everyone would be happy and I'd put the groceries in the car just right and the person would actually give me a tip. In those days, it felt like things were right where they, they should be. Am I the only one? I don't know if you experienced this in your work at all. Where some days it's like, it's like this is exactly what I was promised. This is exactly what I was supposed to be. And otherwise, other days it feels like there's this massive gap. You know, we started this, this congregation in Belmont in 2015. And you have these pictures and dreams of what it's going to be and what God's going to do. In 2018, there was a, a family that walked in, a husband and wife and a child, and they were here from China. They were, they were working at, at, he was working at MIT for a year. And he visited with the church, and after they visited, I sent a quick email, and I said, hey, thanks for visiting. It was nice to meet you on Sunday. And I got this email back, and it remains, I think, for me, one of my favorite emails that I ever received from somebody. And he said this, this is from March of 2018. He said, hi, brain, which I feel like is a great compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> hi, brain. Uh, I am glad to receive your email. And we are very happy to attend the meeting. The brothers and sisters are very nice to us. Listen to what he wrote. However, the God is new to us. We need time to know him and learn the book. So we will keep attending the meeting in the future. And even as I copied and pasted that email into my notes this week, I, I can feel myself getting emotional because that's it. And by the time uh, that family went back to China, they were believers. And uh, his wife was baptized here in this room before they left. And when he came back to work at MIT a year later, he brought with him a hard drive because he couldn't get our sermons in China. And we went up to the office here in this building and I was downloading all the sermons onto this hard drive so he could take them home. Like that is it. That is what you envision. About that same time, we had the food pantry, the town food pantry in the basement of this church right beneath us. And they decided that they were going to rip up the water pad, the splash pad over here at Beaverbrook Park. And at the same time, they were going to rip up the entire intersection at Waverly Square uh, just down the street here. And when they started to do all of that construction, uh, I don't know, some of you that were here, you know exactly what happened. They displaced hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands, felt like thousands of rats. And the rats got displaced when they started the construction projects. And the rats went looking for new places to live. And do you know what they found in this building just below where you're sitting? They found the Belmont Food Pantry that was located in the basement of this church. And when I tell you that, I, I don't even know, I don't want to go into too much detail because you may leave the church right now, okay? But I'll just say there were a lot of rats 
downstairs in this building during that time. And then the exterminators came and, uh, and they, they gave the, they put you know, poison out that would kill the rats. And then the rats ate the poison and they crawled up into the walls of this building and they died. And for months, some of you are nodding your head. You remember for months we came into this building and it was the most foul smelling building that I have ever been in. And I got to tell you, when I think about what this was going to be and those Sundays walking in and smelling that odor, not being able to find the rats in the walls. We were ripping down walls, trying to find these things and going through all, I went through all my seminary notes, three full years of seminary. I tried to find the class where we learned what to do when rats invade your church. There wasn't a single lesson on that in seminary. Do you have this too? I mean, those moments where it's like, yes, this is what God told me to do. Like, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. And then those days where you're saying, what in the world is going on? We started this sermon series three weeks ago and uh, not even realizing what we were going to talk about, uh, I think I, I was just welcoming people and saying hello on a Sunday morning and two different people. I said, how was work this week? How was your week? And they said, oh, we had a riff and it was terrible. You know what riff means? We had a reduction in force. We used to call it layoffs. Now we say riff. And it's like, it was a tough week. Like, no one goes into work. You're building something. You believe in the company. You get the jobs. Like, no one thinks that stuff is going to happen. Here's my question for us this morning. How do we understand how God is at work through all of those things? Sometimes it feels easier to understand how God's at work when, when what you thought the job was going to be and what the job actually is that day are very close. But all of us experience the days where there's this big gap. Where you feel like your team doesn't trust you and you don't trust them. You feel like your boss is, is uh, just unfair and treating you poorly. When you find out the pay wasn't, isn't going to be what they told you it was going to be. All of us have these days. And what do we understand about our God and how he's at work in the midst of that? My hope today is that we walk away from our time together with a biblical framework, trying to understand exactly what is going on in those moments. And there's a couple of things that I, that I want to share with you uh, this morning. And the first is this. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. Sometimes we, call, we talk, talk about uh, an idea called the call. And we only talk about it when it comes to pastors and missionaries. What I want you to understand this morning is if you've been created by God, which you are, if you have a God who loves you and instilled in you certain gifts and abilities, which you do, that there is work that God calls you to do. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, there is work that God calls you to do. Last week, I think it was last week, I was talking to Steve Casey after church, and Steve helped me remember a verse that I, that I appreciate and I think fits really well within this series. And it reminds me of this idea that there is work that God calls you to do no matter who you are. And the verse comes from John chapter 6. 
And it's in it's verse 28 uh, and 29. So John 6, 28 and 29. And what's happening here is Jesus has just fed the 5,000 people. And so even if you don't know your Bible that well, maybe that's one of those, ver- those stories that you've heard of. There's just a, a, some fish and some loaves of bread and Jesus feeds 5,000 people and there's extras and there's take home and leftovers and all sorts of stuff. And after that happens, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to them, Work for the food that doesn't perish. And like many times after Jesus said something, the disciples were confused as to what he meant. And so they asked him a question. They said to him, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? We want to do what God wants us to do. And maybe that's you. I would love to do what God wants me to do with my life. What's, what, what must we be doing to do the works of God. And Jesus answered him, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background, that's the work that God calls all of us to do. To believe in the one whom he has sent. And out of that belief comes other things. Out of that belief comes this This call to all of us to love God and others. We're not going to go too deep into this today. But Jesus is the one that says all the rules, all the law can be summed up in this. You want to know what God wants you to do with your life? You know exactly what he wants you to do, how he wants you to behave? Do this. Love God and love others. And there's all sorts of stuff throughout scripture we could look at that would help us define this uh, even more specifically. We could look at Jesus telling us to be salt and to be light in the world around us. We could look at the character that we're called to. We could look at Jesus telling us that we should develop fruit that's consistent with our belief. All of those things that scripture talks about, Jesus says, here's the call on your life, no matter who you are or where you come from, to believe in me, to believe in the one whom God has sent, And to live a life where you are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the call. And there's something else that I was was thinking about this goes along with this. It's It's the same for every single one of us. No matter where you're from. And that is the promises of God. Those go along with this, no matter who you are or where you come from, that if you believe and you find yourself being transformed by the Holy Spirit so that you can love God and others, that there are these promises that go with you no matter what you do and no matter where you are. Does anyone have one? What is a promise that you hold on to? A promise that is in Scripture that is yours, no matter who you are or no matter what your background is. Cassie, what is it? I will be with you always until the end of the age. That's the promise. That is a good promise, no matter what's happening. Give me one more. Yeah, Rosemary. Absolutely. That he will finish the good work that he started in you. That's a promise. 
There's all these promises in Scripture. Scripture. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll finish the good work that I started in you. I'm with you always until the end of the age. Thou provide for everything you need. These promises are sure in Christ, no matter what. And that's the reality. This never changes. Now, here's the challenge, and I don't know if you experience this. I think, I feel, like if all of this is true, I believe in the one whom God has sent. I believe in Jesus Christ. I give my life to him. I give my, uh, my everything to him. I spend my life trying to love him and love others the way he calls me to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I hold on to these promises. I feel like there's something inside of me that even if I won't say it out loud, feels like this should be my work trajectory. That if I do all of this, my work life, my career, my day-to-day should look something like this. Until, I don't know, I'm president of the world or whatever the end of that line is. It feels like this is what it should be, doesn't it? In fact, when I talk to people and and we have pastoral counseling conversations, whether it's Pastor Rick, uh, who, yes, is from the video, our senior pastor who's here worshiping with us this morning, whether it's Andrew, any of us that would have a, a counseling conversation with somebody. I have certainly heard over and over again, and I have said myself, if this is all real, why doesn't the line of my work and my career at least look similar to this? I don't know what you feel like yours looks like. Some of you are in this room and say, my, my like work life looks like this. Some of you are like, my work life just continues to look like this. And I don't understand how if this is real, that this can be a reality that I experience. I don't know a single person that believes all of this who's had this experience and only that experience. I don't know anyone that's had that. But I know a ton of people who have a lot of questions about who God is and what God is doing because this doesn't seem to match this. Some of you know people that have walked away from this entire thing because of this reality. Because they said, oh, I'm going to believe in the one whom God has sent. I'm going to embrace his promises. I'm going to try to love him and to love others. And then they got into the reality of this world and life and all of those things. And it was super hard. And they said, well, I'm going to forget about this. Maybe some of you in the room are on the verge of that. It's really important that we as Christians, especially in a culture that idolizes work, understand how to deal with this reality. One of the things I hope you walk away here understanding, and this has been personally very important for me to learn over the years in my relationship with God, is that your work changes, but your calling never does. Work changes. 
But the realities of work changing and assignments changing and roles changing and ups and downs and you feel like you're moving forward in your career, you feel like you're taking steps back, you felt like retirement was going to be something that retirement is not, you thought taking care of family members and giving up a career to take care of others was going to be something that you don't feel like it is, whatever that change is that you are experiencing, I want you to walk away from today and I hope that you are encouraged that no matter what you're experiencing day to day, this stuff never changes. And we have to be very careful because we often conflate the two. We often push the two together. And we say, oh, my, my assignment, the work that I do day to day, my work as a teacher, my work as a doctor, my work as a scientist, my work in all of these, my work as an IT professional, all of that is wrapped up into the calling of God. But when we do that, we open up ourselves to believing some things about God that just aren't true. Let me, let me say how I see this play out in Scripture. Do you know the story of Joseph? Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, one of Jacob's sons, the youngest of, of, not the youngest, but the second to youngest of Jacob's sons. Uh, he was Jacob's favorite son. He had a coat that we like to say is of many colors. Pastor Rick tells me Hebrew scholars want to tell us that it, it might mean just he had a long coat, not necessarily a coat of many colors, but then that ruins the musical and it ruins my childhood Sunday school classes. So I'm going to go with coat of many colors and we can let the scholars argue about that. Uh, but the, Joseph, his story. If you go to Genesis chapter 37, you go to Genesis chapter 37, you're going to find uh, that, that Joseph gets a call. Not only is he his dad's favorite, you have 12 sons and dad picks a favorite. That's going to be a problem. All right? Joseph is dad's favorite. He gets the coat. He gets the presence. He gets the esteem. Uh, and then Joseph also has dreams. I don't know if you know about this story or not, but Joseph has these dreams, and then he tells his brothers and his family about the dreams. And uh, he says, hey, we were, we were out harvesting, and, and your, uh, your 11 sheaves of corn, like your stocks of corn, they all bowed down to mine when we were out in the fields. And then um, there was a sun and moon and stars, and they were all bowing down to me. And the sun and the moon were his mom and dad, the stars were his brothers, the Cornstalks were his brothers, and everyone's bowing down to him. And he tells his family this, and his brothers are furious, and even his dad is like, all right, tap the brakes, buddy. Like, I'm not so sure about this. And what happens is, is that Joseph's brothers, uh, they get so angry that they, they take him from this great call, these dreams that God had given him, and they throw him in a pit to die. But as, as Joseph's in that pit, uh, some traders come along and they say, well, we could actually make some money on our brother. So if we just leave him in the pit and he dies, I mean, he's no good to us, but maybe we can make some money on him. So they sell him into slavery. And, and I mean, this is terrible, but like maybe slavery is even a little bit of a bump up for Joseph here in his career because he was left for dead. And now he gets a little uh, chance outside of that, and he gets sold into the house of a man named Potiphar. 
Potiphar is an official. David performs very well in Potiphar's house, so much so that Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of the whole deal. So all the other uh, slaves, all the other servants, everything that's going on in the household, uh, Potiphar puts Joseph in front of it all, in charge of it all. But something happens there. Potiphar's wife, she takes a liking to Joseph. I don't know if you read this story. Like the Bible has nothing interesting in it. I mean, it's pretty interesting. Potiphar takes, uh, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. Says to Joseph, she thinks it's a good idea if they have an affair. Joseph disagrees. And there's this, this sort of uh, scene where, where she grabs Joseph by his cloak. And Joseph runs out of the room and the cloak is left behind. She's a little bit embarrassed. So she goes to her husband and says, guess what? Joseph came and he tried to attack me. And I fought him off. And now, see, I have his cloak. And Potiphar, of course, is furious. And so Joseph is wrongly accused of doing something that he did not do, and he is thrown into prison. What's that? It's tough to read the green? All right, well, just follow my line here. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, Don. Joseph is thrown into prison. While Joseph is in prison, though, things go pretty well for him. And he's put in charge of the entire prison. There's this theme in Joseph's life. Put in charge of Potiphar's house, stands out in prison. He's put in charge of the prison. And while he's there, the Pharaoh, the the person in charge of it all, he puts two of his people, two of his workers, into prison with Joseph. He puts there the, his cupbearer, the one who would taste all of his wine or drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, the Pharaoh needs to trust. The king needs to trust his cupbearer. He didn't trust his cupbearer, so he threw him into prison. And he also threw his baker in prison, the one who makes all the food and the one who uh, does all of those things. He threw him into prison. And so the cupbearer and the baker are there with Joseph in prison. No word on where the candlestick maker was at this point. But they're all in prison with Joseph. And while they're in prison, they have dreams. And Joseph says, I can interpret the dreams. And he says to the cupbearer, he says, good news, you're getting out. Your dream means that you're going to be restored to your position. You're going to be working again for the king. This is good news. In fact, three days from now, you're going to be out. And Joseph said, the cupbearer said, this is fantastic news. And Joseph said, just do me a favor. Remember me when you get out. And the cupbearer says, of course I'll remember you. The second I get out, I'm going to tell everybody I know about Joseph, the guy who helped me get out of prison. And then he talked to the baker. Baker's news, not so good. Going to be executed, which happens to the baker. So Joseph is two for two, dead on good news and bad news. But the cupbearer, he gets out, right? And the cupbearer is going to tell the king and everybody about how great Joseph is. But the cupbearer forgets. And he forgets for two years. So Joseph, who had some hope, 
is now in prison for two years. I wish the Bible would say more here. It just says Joseph was there for two years. Of all the things that Joseph went through, I feel like, to me, a promise to get out, a promise that the cupbearer was going to have your back to just sit there for another two years. There's got to be some tough years. But then Pharaoh has a dream. The guy in charge of it all. And he can't sleep because he can't understand the dream. And the cupbearer says, I just remembered after two years. There was this guy, Joseph, in prison, and I had a dream. And he can tell you about your dream. And so the, the, uh, the Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and he tells him his dream. And Joseph tells him his dream means that there's going to be seven years of good crops, and then there's going to be a famine. And so uh, they better stockpile all the food for the next seven years because there's going to be seven years of famine. And if they don't save a bunch of food now, in those seven years, a lot of people are going to die. And Joseph says, if I were you in your position, I would find someone to put in charge of the whole deal, watch over the crops, save some give some for now and stockpile everything so that when we hit the famine, we have plenty of food. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, that sounds like a good idea. And you sound like the man for the job. And he makes Joseph second in charge over the whole kingdom. And he saves many lives, including the lives of his brothers and his mother and father who come to Egypt to get food and not knowing that it is their long lost son who is in charge, bow down to him, just like the dream said. And he provides them with food. This never changes, even though this does. And it happens in Joseph's life, and it happens in your life. And one of the challenges that we have as we think about all of this is that it is really easy for us to try and squeeze these two things together. But when we do that, when we say, no, all of this is about the calling that God promised me and all of those things, and every single time is that we make two mistakes. When we push all this together, we end up with two mistakes. One, we go on a roller coaster like this. God's promises aren't good. God's against me. God doesn't see me. Oh, God really likes me. God's for me. Promises are good. Oh, God, I don't know what I did wrong, but he doesn't like me anymore. He's not, he's not there for me. Wait, maybe? No, he's not there. And oh, yep, no, it, it's good. That roller coaster ride is something that you and I are not intended to go on. The reality is, is when we're in this space, as you work, God is at work in you. And we have to avoid the mistakes that come. One is the mistake of saying uh, that this is all one line, that all of this depends on the promises of God, are all dependent on this. The second if we make that mistake, the second thing we might end up doing 
is we might at the high and low points end up walking away from the call. Here, because we say to ourselves, look at what I did. Like, God left me here. And I battled, and I fought, and I had grit, and I did all the things that all the HBR articles told me to do, and I put those all into practice, and look what I did. I climbed out of here, and I made it up to here. Like, look look at the work that I've done. And we walk away from God. Or we walk away from God here. I've seen a lot of people walk away from God here. It was a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. And you thought, well, if I'm here, it feels so far away from this. This must not be true. But Scripture tells us that God is at work through all of it. Like when Joseph is ascending to the head of Potiphar's household, this is what Scripture says. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that Potiphar made Joseph overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. That's what scripture says as Joseph goes up this curve. But what does scripture say as Joseph goes down to prison? It says this. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. What we see in scripture is that the language that is used about God in Joseph's life is the exact same as he's going up this, this incline as, he, as it is when he goes down into prison. It's the exact same. God is with him here. God is with him here. God gives him success here. God gives him success here. God shows him favor here. God shows him favor here. And a lot of us sit in here and we say, oh yes, I know what it's like to experience God's favor here, but we don't believe that it's possible to experience his favor here. And you're saying to me, okay, well, Pastor Brian, if, if I do this, right, if I, if, I, if I believe this, that probably means that I get here, right? As long as I get here, I think I can do this. As long as at the end I'm second in charge of Egypt and I, I make a ton of money and I'm all set, like I can deal with this and I can believe God's at work as long as I get here. But here's the problem. Joseph's story wraps up nice and neat, but not every story in Scripture does that. Very quickly, I think about someone like the Apostle Paul, right? Who in Acts 9 is called very dramatically into service for the Lord. And he starts planting churches. And so he goes on his first missionary journey. And on his first missionary journey, right? He's almost killed. They throw rocks at him in Lystra. 
And then he kind of regroups and he goes on his second missionary journey. But then they throw him into prison in Philippi. So then he does it again and he goes on a third missionary journey. And then there's a plot against his life. They want to kill him. And so he says, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to Rome because I'm a Roman citizen. And he's like, surely when I get to Rome, things will be better. But he's shipwrecked here. And then finally he gets to Rome and he's under house arrest here. And church tradition tells us after that, he's martyred. That's the great Apostle Paul's trajectory of work. And Paul, when he's here in prison in Rome, he writes this verse. The question is, how do, I, how do I deal with this reality? How do you deal with this reality? And Paul says, through all of this, I've learned something. I've learned the secret to staying true to this through all of this. And he says it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He writes it from prison. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And if you look in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul actually writes out all the things that he went through. Whipped 39 times, multiple times, beaten with rods, stoned. He writes it all out there for you. He said, I've learned how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says this verse, which you may be familiar with. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, listen, I learned the secret of dealing with this. And you know what the secret is? To remember that this never changes. When Joseph's brothers came and found him in Egypt, he said this to them in Genesis 50, 20. He said, all this stuff you meant for evil against me, throwing me into the pit, selling me into slavery, you meant it, you, you intended it for evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph said, you know what, I, you know how I can deal with all of this? Because this never changes. I don't know where you are in all of this, but I know that this is a battle. I know that this is not easy. And some of you are going to walk into work tomorrow. This was great. You got four days off in a row. Some of us, some of you. And you're going to walk into work tomorrow. And you're going to say, you're going to see that boss again that puts you down here. You're going to walk into that team again that puts you down here. You're going, to, you're going to give a presentation, and it's going to fall flat, and it's not going to be good. You're going to find out. Someone's going to find out about a reduction in force. Something's going to happen. Some of you are there already. 
Some of you are right here, and work is going really well right now. Some of you, you're, you're, the best thing that could happen is getting together with the family and friends that you got, got together with over the last couple of days, and you're feeling like you're up here. I don't know where you are on this spectrum. If you're living in plenty or if you're living in want. If you're feeling high right now or if you're feeling low. But my prayer for you is that no matter where you are, you will find God in your calling and not try to find him in your work. Does that make sense? Not that God isn't at work in your work, but that you would find your ultimate purpose and significant and fulfillment in who you are in Christ. That you would learn the secret to being content in all things, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That the work you're called to do first and foremost is to believe in the one whom he has sent, to love God and love others, to remember God's promises for you that remain sure no matter what is going on down here. And to know that God is using all of this to help you live out this more effectively. So my question for you this morning as the worship team comes back is what are you doing right now in your life to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the calling that you have through Jesus Christ? Many of us know things that we're doing right now to try to improve this situation. I don't know what you're doing. You're taking a course. You're getting another certificate. You're doing some LinkedIn learning. I don't know what you're doing right here. You're reading a book on how to spend your retirement. You're, you're, you're trying to learn more things about parenting. I don't know what you're doing right now to try to make this all better. All of that stuff is helpful. My question for you this morning is what are you doing to grow in this? Because this will always change. And it will never quite live up to the picture that we have of what it should be. But who you are in Jesus Christ, the promises that you have in and through him, those never change. Those are sure. So what are you doing to grow here? God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And I thank you that you are always at work in and through us. And Father, through the challenges that we face, and I pray for the person right now who is sitting here this morning and is dreading going back to work tomorrow. I pray for the person who's sitting here this morning and, doesn't, and knows that they don't have a place to go to work tomorrow and wishes that they, do it, that they did. God, I pray that the reality that who you are and your love for us and your promises that the reality that those things never change would bring peace and strength in this moment. The truth that you never leave us, the truth that you're always with us, the truth that you will provide. Would those promises be made real in our lives through your Holy Spirit? God, help us to do well in focusing on growing in who you call us to be in Christ.
Help us to believe that that is the secret to contentment, that what Paul has written there for us is true, that that is the secret of what it means to be content, to know you and to be found in you and to rely on you. We lay all these things at your feet today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together as we close out our time together.